Nettie Ostadio is a pastor and a farmer, a scholar and our friend, who we often think about and wish we, she were here with us on Sister Grove Farm. Nettie was born in Venezuela and is now a Presbyterian pastor in Florida. Her wisdom as a theologian and organizer has impacted people around the world. We were grateful to talk with her a couple of weeks ago. She and her husband, Tom, co-founded the Angelic Organics Learning Center in Northern Illinois, and she continues her work to connect people of faith to the earth through her work as an organizer and teacher through Green Faith, an international and interfaith religious environmental organization. In this episode of Farm Discipleship, we are going to hear about how the earth can be imagined as God's body, how farming and eating food from a farm you know can heal the human body, and how to be grateful for and work for justice for the work of farm workers. Have a listen, and thanks for coming to the farm. First off, I want to congratulate you for the recognition that you recently received from Presbyterians for Earth Care. Thank you, thank you, yes. The uh, William Gibson Eco Justice Award. That's correct, yeah, yeah. Very well deserved. It's a, thank you, it's a beautiful surprise, very well received. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this podcast that we're calling Farm Discipleship, we are talking to farmers uh, and ministers and scholars, academics, but the tricky thing is you're all three. <laughs> you are a farmer, have been a farmer. Uh, you are an ordained Presbyterian minister uh, and you are a scholar. Uh, your your D-men, I think was, you got from Drew Theological School. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And mm -hmm. so we, we, we have some mutual friends there. But you grew up in Venezuela. That's right, until I was 20. 24, I, I came to the United States, and in my childhood years, uh, we also lived in Argentina where my parents studied theology at a seminary in, in Buenos Aires, so mm. I kind of have that, those three, Argentina, Venezuela, and U.S., yep. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, in, did you grow up on a farm or have any relationship with a farm in your growing yeah. up years? No, I did not grow up on a farm. I was thinking, I think most people in the city perhaps live in, in Caracas, Venezuela, maybe are a couple of generations removed from having had a, a farm life experience. But we always did go to the countryside or to the beach to enjoy our vacation times. And um, in Argentina too, which uh, when my parents went there to study theology, um, it was a time of political turmoil and going to the countryside uh, and crossing to Uruguay, visiting some friends that had farms, long, long, long acres, mm -hmm. uh, um, and riding the horses was a way of kind of looking for, for peace and balance and some safety, you know, in the midst of a very difficult political 
time in Argentina. So, so I had that kind of in my childhood experiences. It's, it's, it was there, but I never really lived on a farm or even knew how to um, grow anything or take care of farm animals. Right. <laughs> but it was there as, as good experiences in my background, and, you know. Right. So, yeah. All, all, and in, 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 of course, in Venezuela as well, uh, the Presbyterian Church has uh, some churches within, in rural areas, and we visited often. Um, and that was also very beautiful every time in youth camps in the countryside as well. And, um, but, um, but not, I had not lived on a farm myself. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, you and your husband, Tom started, um, a farm nonprofit in Illinois, right? Called Angelic, what, tell me about that. Yeah, sure. So the Angelic Organics Learning Center, we co-founded a learning center um, that exists within an organic farm. So the farm is the community support agriculture farm. It, it was there before we arrived. We had even been members of the farm for four years before mm-hmm. uh, him and I uh, decided to just, well, we just didn't just decide. We were invited by John Peterson, the farmer himself, and a team of people to say, hey, why don't you guys come and help me here to educate people about organic farming because I cannot farm and educate at the same time. And it was at a time when there was a great increase of interest by the people to connect with organic farmers or eat organic food. Um, and so that was in the late nine and yeah, well, I graduated from seminary in 98. So that was, so we became members around 1994 and started uh, going to the farm to visit and kind of volunteers from the city, get people engaged with the CSA. And then by 98, after graduating from seminary, then this call came, was, hey, you guys come over and help us start this learning right. center. And so that's what we did. So uh, yeah, the Angelic Organics Learning Center. It had a different name before, but that was the name, yeah. So you and your husband were kind of the educators on the farm? We, we were the, the ones in charge of not the vegetable production, but all the education and, okay. and creating that space for, for others to come and learn and, and visit mm-hmm. and camp. And, and we brought the animals. So the animals, the first animals were donated by the Heifer Project. We became kind of an, also an educational site for Heifer Project International in our region. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we began uh, offering classes of all mm-hmm. ca- kinds of things related with farming mm-hmm. and, uh, well, first kind of working the physical space, cutting all the weeds and cre- yeah. building, building, you know, uh, straw bale, uh, uh structures as part of a course and all, inviting people to help us build those buildings so people could uh-huh. come and, and have an indoor place and the animals also had a right barn so uh-huh. it was a whole part of a process that took 20 years but um mm. wow. but but yeah it, it started with with us saying okay let's go let's move to the farm and, and started mm-hmm. this thing and we already already had this um kind of environmental mindset and already loved right. the farm because that mm-hmm. was our farm now as, as as consumers of the products that came out of that farm right so, so mm-hmm. your entryway was being a subscriber to their CSA? Yes, uh, that was one of the entryways. Now, uh, as I was reflecting uh, for this call and, and with, with you, I was uh, realizing in reality, we connected with the farm too, because I became ill with endometriosis and by mm-hmm. reading about uh, how to heal from it, mm-hmm. uh, I heard, uh, I read that sometimes it is related with chemical exposure. Mm-hmm. And so I, 
uh, I did have a surgery, but the doctor said, well, you have to either take this drug, you have to take this drug for the rest of your life if you don't want to have symptoms after the surgery. And, and the, the, the information I read is that if it was related with chemical exposure or another way is healing through detoxifying your body. And so I read, well, how do you detoxify your body? Well, that yeah. it, it is related with how you eat and eating wow. can help you heal from that. And so it was that of trying to figure out a way of healing my own body um, that we connected with the farm. We saw an ad in a newspaper and a magazine about uh, this organic farm outside of Chicago that mm -hmm. was offering this product for members. And, and mm. so we say, well, let's go there because at the time there was not that, we, we didn't have that offer in the supermarket. The supermarket right. didn't have uh, organic yeah. vegetables available uh, as I needed them. So at the time, which is interesting because that changed so so quickly in the last 20 years, right? Um, but um, so that's what really led us to the farm. It was finding a way for me to heal from this disease and, uh, um, and, and it did what it, it did. I, it did, it did save, <laughs> it did save me from living, you know, the whole rest of my life taking some very strong drugs that, it, that probably would not have allowed me to have more children and I healed and wow. I had more children and, and I lived uh, uh, symptom-free for, for, for that long. So, mm. um, yeah, so it's interesting because we already had this environmental mindset. We, I was going to seminary, I was studying ecotheology, creation, care, all of that, but it was about caring for that which was outside of my body. I really never thought about what I put in my body has to do with the same struggle and <laughs> the same wow. environmental justice piece is about also about how we eat. And yeah. so the farm allowed me to begin connecting with all those other pieces, right? Uh, right. Uh, justice to the land, justice to the farmers, uh, supporting local right. economies, uh, being in relationship with your farmers, eating local, you know, avoiding all the transportation from thousands of miles away eating more fresh, which means also more nutrients mm -hmm. uh, from good soils, which means more vitamins and minerals. Uh, so yeah. yeah, so that just kind of yeah. opened my own understanding of yeah. how eating a, a good food and organic food or um, it's also related with environmental justice. Uh, mm. The one that I was studying in seminary, mm. but I had not really connected it to my own body, let's say. Right. So, Paying attention yeah. to how the health of our personal bodies is directly connected to the health of the body of the yes. earth. Okay, the earth, the land, and, the farmers. And Sally McFaig would go one step further and say the body of God. There you go. Sarah, one of the things that comes up in this section is Nettie and you talking about the earth being the body of God. So can you tell us a little bit more about that, mm. where that comes from. Mm. Well, it was so profound when Nettie's experience of her own personal health of her body uh, was directly in correlation to the health of the body of the earth. She recognized that, and it reminded me of the scholarship of Sally McFaig in her book, The Body of God, an Ecological Theology, where she asks us, what if we dared to think of our planet and indeed the entire universe as the body of God? Mm. You know, to really uh, pay attention to the word becoming flesh, mm. 
Uh, and so, you know, as a, uh, uh, as a, as a invitation to love the earth as a body, mm-hmm. uh, as the embodiment of God and, and paying attention to the direct relationship that, that has with our own bodies. Mm-hmm. So bodies matter. Bodies are made of matter. The body of our own personal bones and skin matters and the body of the earth matters. And, and, uh, so, it's all connected uh, to God, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. sacred, sacred, and and um, I had never heard Nettie say that, but but it's you know, and we kind of say the word, you know, uh, we are what we eat, and we kind of say that very tritely, and uh, but what we take into our body comes from the body of the earth, and so if the body of the earth is healthy, then we are taking into our own body's health. So it's directly correlating. And if, and if, um, if the God that Christians believe in is an incarnational God, carne, flesh, then, then it's not, we're not, we're not, uh, believing in an otherworldly God, but a God that is in it with us is Emmanuel is in this earth that we can oh taste and see you know that the that the the lord is good and the earth is good and this uh uh so i was just it it was a very um holistic holiness that uh i was captured by in nettie's description yeah she just brought everything together Mm It, that must have affected your own spiritual journey and, and life as far as making that connection. Um, yes. And, and I, think, mm-hmm. I think the where the spiritual peace came also more, more clearly uh, and also even as a spiritual challenge was also the fact of even deciding moving to the farm, leaving the city, our very nice apartment next to Michigan, Lake Michigan, mm-hmm. <laughs> the community that we already had in Chicago, the church. Um, uh, we really uprooted ourselves to go and start the learning center. Uh, mm. um, and it was really letting go of a lot of things that were, 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 were beautiful in, in our lives as a family. Mm-hmm. And, um, because when you when we arrived to the farm too, it was almost starting from scratch. The the only yeah. few people there that we knew were were the farmer and some of the workers yeah. at the land. But we right. didn't church. My family was not there. Extended family. We had to start from. A lot of things were starting from 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 scratch. And to it sounds learn. like a, it sounds like a leap of faith. It was a leap of faith. So that was one of the spiritual pieces of of uh, taking this uh, make mm-hmm. <laughs> this move to the to yeah. the farm. Uh, but we were also supported by uh, a Mennonite congregation uh, mm-hmm. in Chicago. Uh, we were uh, uh, participating, or my, especially my husband during that time, mm-hmm. um, who prayed for us. And I, I felt, I felt the peace I needed to feel, even though I didn't understand how I could even feel peace about the decision mm-hmm. because I was struggling with it for a while. And realized, okay, I did feel that peace. I mean, it's time to go. We have to do it and everything will be okay. Um, uh, so if, if it wasn't because of that, 
uh, now the decision from not only just eating good food, but now moving into the countryside to start a learning center, it really required that spiritual support. Right. Um, well, did you find a new sense of community? Well, let's say that we, we created a, a new okay. community through the right. learning center at the farm. Right. Even though the farm had lots of people that were coming because they wanted to learn about organic farming, we created the space for the, for the community through the mm -hmm. learning center. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it, 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 was like, it was like starting a, a church, I guess, in a way for us, a community, right? Mm -hmm. You build people together, you come bring people together around a common theme. Um, you know, nature, uh, stewardship of the land, spirituality, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And people began to, to come and, and the, the work of the, the learning center grew up to receiving 3,500 people a year to come in to visit the wow. farm. And it was only possible because we created a learning center. So it really grew beyond my capabilities. So it became a 15 people staff plus other volunteers and educators. And so it really grew into what it needed to grow to to be available for for yeah for those and <laughs> and coming together around food around that food, was grown around, food about about around uh, knowing where your food comes from right uh, being being supported to local farming so local economies mm -hmm. and also people seeking especially because it's ninety <laughs> miles north of Chicago it's also an opportunity for people to get out of the city and reconnect with nature so right. in that sense it also had that. That component, um, yeah, yeah. So, so we we I guess we built that community um, through the learning center, and the farm was our place, our place of uh, worship, our way, our yeah. place of living our faith, yeah. our, our morals, our ethics, our ideals. Now, as we were understanding, and other local farmers, I have to say really helped us and they also came to our rescue i guess we learned a lot of things by visiting other farms and learning right. you know how to take care of goats how do you take care of chickens how do you make a goat milk soap uh cheese goats mm. you know cheese uh, how do you do compost you know all of all of those elements that mm. came part of our became part of our curricula of education mm -hmm. at the learning center we learned from other farmers and um so so yeah so in that sense it was uh it was probably difficult at the beginning because we did have to let go of other things to be able to make that happen, but then it was also beautiful. Why is it important, do you think? Do you think it is important for people to know where their food comes from? I think it is, it is very important to, to know where your food comes from, how it was produced, who produced mm -hmm. it, how the land or the workers were left after they produce what you eat. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is a matter, it is a matter of, of justice to know where our food crumbs comes mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a matter of being aware of our interrelationships with, with other beings and with other human beings that make our life possible, especially when I'm saying uh, us as people who live in the city, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, because if we are not aware, it's very difficult to then heal um, um, and to bring justice to uh, what is wrong today in our food system. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because of not being aware of where our food comes from, there is more pollution. There is pollution. Right. 
there is climate change. Uh, there is lots of biodiversity, you know, from potatoes, corn to types of chicken. We are growing only that which produces more meat or yes. we are growing so many few things when the world biodiversity has hundreds of types of potatoes, hundreds of types of corn. And we usually go to the supermarket and we find one or two types. We are destroying biodiversity for not knowing really where our food comes from and what happens with when we pay, what choices we're making, what kind of world we are creating. So if we really care about justice, if we really care about the environment, if we really love the earth, we need to know where our food comes from. It is, uh, all those issues are at stake when we make a choice about what we eat mm -hmm. or how we eat. Uh, so as people of faith, you know, if you think about it that way, it's like, oh yeah, I better think about how I eat and what I eat because <laughs> I'm impacting the world through my choices uh, or, or I'm impacting my, by my lack of wanting to know, I'm also impacting my world that I love and I want for my children to enjoy in the future. So uh, really we need to be aware of our- Yeah, yeah. Give, giving thanks to the farm workers who, who harvested that food. Yes. Uh, you know, when you table for dinner and you say grace, Yes. Give thanks for the farm worker, for the, you know, for all that it took to grow that, that ear of corn. Yes. It, giving thanks is, was a good start. Uh, and, and beyond just making sure that, uh, not just giving thanks, but are you okay uh, for me eating this? Or, or are you being left, you know, you're being paid so little for what I paid so right. much more in the supermarket, you know? Are you being exposed sure. to chemicals by me eating this? Are you being exposed to high heat and not, you know, the, this climate change and not being allowed to take breaks? Are you getting fair wages? You know, it's right. thankful, but think about what thankful means. It's just really being in relationship with those that grow our food as well. Right. Right. It has to move us to the next, uh, being right. really aware. Yeah. And when, and when yeah. we realize today what's happening, we realize, oops, we have to learn what's happening right. in the food system to be just. Abby, in, um, in this segment of the, of the conversation with Nettie, and we talked about being, giving thanks for the farm workers when we say grace over our meals, and she said, that's a good start. Being thankful is a good start, but she, she led us to a deeper uh, understanding of what being thankful for the farm workers mm -hmm. might mean. Yeah. You know, on the back of my car is a bumper sticker that says, got food, thank a farm worker. Mm -hmm. and, and I got that bumper sticker when I was working with farm workers mm -hmm. in Northern California. Um, and everybody likes to be appreciated and thanked. But those farm workers and Nettie's ministry too has taught me that gratitude is not just about saying thank you, but then working for farm worker justice mm -hmm. and knowing the the stories of people who are working um, in the field and knowing the stories and the systems that bring farm workers to our country um, and then the lives in which they live and how those are all connected to our lives and that the giving thanks at the table matters right. if we're authentically saying thank you because that um, launches us into action and says, if I want to have healthy food, I have to work for justice for farm workers mm -hmm. to know them truly and right. to know their stories. Right. It is a matter of justice, mm -hmm. is what she says, from yeah. Jay McDaniel, yeah. another favorite yeah. of yours. I love Jay McDaniel. Yeah. 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 
and being thankful, I think she said, was to be in a relationship with mm -hmm. those who grow our food. So being thankful is a good start. Yeah. Your eco-justice work, uh, which um, is, is at, seems to, is at the core of your discipleship as a Christian. Um, and, and I'm wondering what examples of injustices you've, that you've alluded to already uh, that give you despair and what justice work gives you hope. I mean, what, we are so blind to so many injustices in our food system. One, one thing that gives me despair and, and it's, it's hard to, <laughs> to witness is sometimes, I mean, our, our, my church, the Presbyterian church, um, sometimes when churches really rally around collecting food to give mm -hmm. to, to the poor, uh, especially when we collect food to give to farm workers, uh, I I just I just can't stand it. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a very hard time just engaging in collecting food from farm workers and not working also in the fact that how come we are collecting food for farm workers? How come the people who grow and harvest our food don't have enough food for themselves to eat? Right. What's mm. wrong with this picture? We can't just say let's collect food and not also talk about these other. Uh, uh, root issues, you know, mm -hmm. systemic issues that are making, uh, are causing our farm farm workers, which are 95% of the U.S. Uh, workforce that harvest our food, our vegetables and fruits are farm workers, immigrant farm workers, right? So, uh, right. so anyway, that's one thing that <laughs> I feel is bare. Maybe not so much is bare. I, I, I struggle with how, sure. how, how do, how am I, uh, present myself in a room when I see that happening. And, and yeah. so, but right. um, what gives me hope is, well, um, what gives me hope is that uh, our faith is one that uh, speaks of justice, uh, restore mm -hmm. and transform world, uh, love, compassion. Uh, and I know that those are values that we just cannot let go of. Uh, right. I believe in the God of love. Therefore, that gives me hope, regardless of whether I will see the changes I need to see in the world or in my lifetime. So what gives me hope is my own faith, the principles of my faith that nobody can deny. So that gives me hope. We have that. Nobody can say otherwise. Uh, it also gives me hope to see that today. When I started environmental ministry, I was in my early 20s in Venezuela. I was the only person in my denomination. It's not too large in Venezuela. We're just a few thousands at the time, but still nobody was preaching about environmental issues. Nobody was teaching or calling the church to care about the environment. So I found myself very alone in this journey. Um, and that's the journey that brought me to the United States. God found a way to <laughs> uproot, uproot me at the time too. Like go over there, go learn what you need to learn. So, um, so, um, Again, it was it was a very solo uh, journey for a while, uh, but now when you look at this, you realize this is being talked about in many different places. Mm -hmm. There are so many young people today engaged in climate justice. Uh, uh, people are more aware. Some things are being taught in school. Some things are not. Some others are not. Uh, but there's more and more awareness. There's more people aware that something is not 
right and we need to do something about it. Churches are talking about it. The seminaries, obviously, here in the United States, when I arrived, I realized, oh, they are teaching about this. This is part of the ministry of the church, not just my own hobby or crazy idea in Venezuela. I realized, no, this is the call of the church to care for the environment, to care for each other and the most vulnerable people. So uh, it, that gives me hope that in this, in a sense, there's more of us now that I felt right. at the time. And we have more tools now. Uh, we have more organizations and nominations doing the work and providing resources for people of faith that feel cold. Like I felt cold at the time and God found a way to move me to what I needed to be so I could have the tools I needed. So I'm excited right. to share those tools today with people who are feeling the same uneasiness that something needs to be done, something's not right. And they feel cold also to, to, to do environmental justice in their own communities, no? So that, that gives me hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why is, so this conversation, this of uh, the intersections between with farming and food and faith, um, why is this is why is this an important topic for the church? Uh, well, because it is a matter of justice. Mm -hmm. It is a matter of justice as faithfulness to our relationships. That I heard theologian Jake McDaniel say one: justice mm -hmm. as faithfulness to our relationships, mm -hmm. because it is about being aware of how we are related, interrelated, how we affect each other, um, and and therefore seeking that justice that is so foundational to our faith. So, um, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, perhaps the, the concern was about whether we ate clean or unclean foods, you know, what you ate, was that right? Keeping the, the Torah, keeping the... Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and Jesus brought up the issue, well, not so much that, but whom we ate with. Does everybody have access to the food? Make sure that everybody has food to eat, right? And seeing the power in the community to make sure that food is available to all those who are hungry. And in Corinthians also, you know, making sure that uh, the poor, the slaves who probably had to work later hours also have food when the rich and the poor come together to worship God, right? Mm -hmm. But today we also see the importance of um, uh, how we treat the land and the animals of the land, uh, which then you go back to the Old Testament, which they had a right to rest, you know, as well for good healing and for good health. Ooh, let's bring that back today to our, to our, right. Um, right. Yeah. Um, and how depending and how our own health is impacted on whether we allow the land and the animals to rest and to right. have a good life. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and the other one is how we make sure that everybody has access to good food, mm. um, a good environment. Uh, if it's organic, how can that be affordable for everyone? You know, right. if it is free of chemicals, at least, how can we make sure that everybody has access to that? So that again, the, the justice piece comes here. So um, that, that's why uh, these are matters of the church. Uh, right and things we need to, to care about and think about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You think about the communion table in a whole new way. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Very mindful. Even how that bread got there to the table. Uh -huh. <laughs> exactly. Uh -huh. All those pieces. Are... Yeah. Yeah. Taking time for that and realizing because it's very important. For the healing of the world, for the well-being of the world and future generations, or we're 
Yeah. Yeah. Who are the who are the the inspirations, people, places that have uh, encouraged you and your husband in your in your walk in church or farming or you know yeah. inspirations or what are your inspirations yeah well i i have to say that i'm not sure about tomas i would prefer if he answers <laughs> that himself <laughs> but um i again for me it was my own personal need for healing that's right. what opened my eyes to looking at the land and looking at food and, and all its interconnections with these other many other justice issues, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but I do have to say that thinking about my, my own experiences in Venezuela, there is one community, there's, well, two communities I would, I would lift up. One community is an Adventist community. is a, a healing clinic too, that the Adventist community in Venezuela, they have several uh, farms, um, in, in, in regions in, in Venezuela where people go for week, two, a month to look for healing by eating you know, vegetarian, local grown food. These are farms, but these are also, I would say, healing clinics, right? Mm. Um, and, and my mother, in one occasion, went there and, and she also came back transformed in a way just by mm. being in that place they wake up at five in the morning every day everybody including those that come looking for for some kind of healing mm -hmm. um they they pray they have worship and they, everybody goes out into the land everybody goes to do something weed uh, plant harvest mm -hmm. and then people make the food together and then other people have different therapies uh, have, so depending on what your ailment is so that I, I, I visited that, that place a couple of times and that connection of faith and food and farming, mm -hmm. which is very special and, yeah. and again, healing. <laughs> uh, and then another place very similar, but now within a city in Bolivia, I had the opportunity to visit once. Uh, it was uh, coordinated by the Franciscan community. And mm -hmm. it was also a healing clinic that existed. It was an oasis within a very poor, very poor community in uh, Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Uh, people had no access to medicine, but in that place, they were volunteer doctors. They could go and see you, but they also had like uh, uh, walking mandalas, you know, the places where you can walk around, the meditation. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was an herb garden. There was a little restaurant. I mean, tiny restaurant, just four or five tables. So you could eat vegetarian, delicious foods and try yeah. what that is. Uh, they would do massage therapy under some very beautiful can, you know, branches of canopies mm. um, uh, or clay therapy. Mm. It was like, what? I mean, and there was farming, healing, and spirituality. And there was wow. a little chapel too. A little chapel, people could go and pray, ask mm. for their healing with, with words and prayers all up, painted all around the, the wall. Mm. It, it was very, very beautiful and very inspiring that something like that could be created anywhere. And with it, I'm sorry, I'm emotional. Within yeah. a, a city, uh, in a poor community. This is poor mm. people there. Those streets were all dirt with big holes, 
plus of paddles with water. I can see there's mosquitoes probably everywhere. Who knows how many times it's just because of the poverty of the place. Mm -hmm. And people came to find healing. You would be there and it was just peace. You know, if yeah. peace, you could breathe peace, peace. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would lift up those places as those places that have been able to integrate all of that in one. Yeah. Outside of a city and inside a city. Um, as places that I would see as models of... Uh, Sarah, what did you think about Nettie talking about food clinics? Well, it was something that I had never heard of. It was new to me. Uh, and it sounded like something that, you know, if it was in the United States of America, it would be something that uh, some of us could afford and others of us would never consider doing. It would be like a spa, mm -hmm. you know, a healing clinic uh, where I can go for my therapies as opposed to going to a place where you're paying it, you're, you're, there's prayer that's a part of your day, there's work mm -hmm. that's a part of your day, and connecting with your food that's a part of your day, and receiving healing and treatments for mm -hmm. particular bodily needs that you have. But these were not wealthy people, it didn't sound like, that she was describing. Just everyday people. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and Remy, you um, shared with us in conversation um, after your interview with Nettie about food justice and access to healthy food for all. And um, that for me connects to this food clinic idea that anyone had access to healthy food and then healthcare, right? And I wonder if you can just say more about what you think about food justice. Well, I think about equal access to healthy foods for everybody. Uh, I think about places, lower income communities that, that uh, experience food deserts where there's no uh, grocery store uh, mm -hmm. in their neighborhood, so they don't have access to food. Uh, <clears throat> food deserts, um, you know, churches in the area could have farmer's markets at their, at their places, mm -hmm. or uh, just the idea of everybody having access to good, healthy food instead of having to go to a convenience store or a little food mart mm -hmm. uh, at the corner there that may not have the, the most healthy foods um, um, or families instead of they have a dollar instead of going to the grocery store to get uh, some vegetables they'd go to McDonald's and get uh, two cheeseburgers for a dollar. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Because that's what they have, right? Right. right. Working for food justice means that we make available for everybody right right but there are instances like she described where I mean I love that Gabara quote you know from Brazilian eco theologian and activist Yuban Gabara wherever healing wherever love wherever mm -hmm. justice is mm -hmm. Christ is there it may not look like the church quote unquote that we think of mm -hmm. but Christ is there. So sometimes there's instances where we, as Christians, need to pay attention to where food justice mm -hmm. is happening. Yep. And we, as Christians, as the church, need to catch up mm -hmm. to where Christ is. Because there are pockets of surprising food justice mm -hmm. uh, events that are happening in unexpected places. Mm -hmm. Christ is there and invites us to be there mm -hmm. at work together.
you talk about the healing of the land and the healing of your own body, but there's relationships. There's the, you know, neighbors getting to know neighbors. Yes. Uh, and supporting people who eat, getting to know their farmers. I mean, it's just the, you know, yeah. comes, you know, to bring reconciliation to all of creation. Indeed. Yes, Even if it's not explicitly in a church. Yes. That healing and reconciliation. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Perhaps Christ is in that. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like I, I like uh, Ibon Guevara, which is a Brazilian eco theologian. I like she said that wherever, wherever there is, wherever there is healing, wherever there is love, wherever there is justice, Christ is there. Right. That's only possible because Christ is there. And that was a beautiful way of understanding how I could find healing or see healing happening within a community or somewhere that is outside of the temple, right? Yeah. Well, how is that possible? Well, because Christ is there. The mm -hmm. Spirit of God is, is everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. So there's no limits. <laughs> what right. can happen. Right. That's right. With the right relationships. Yeah. yeah. That's right. The name of this podcast is Farm Discipleship, which is inspired by the work and scholarship of Chad Myers, who... Uh, encouraging people to pay attention to their relationship with their watersheds. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is to encourage mm -hmm. us all to pay attention to our food sheds. Where is our food coming from? And I wonder how, what are some ways that the church is perhaps even uniquely positioned to bring people in touch with their food sheds? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> those, those examples, I guess I've seen he more here in the United States uh, uh, with churches uh, hosting farmer markets mm -hmm. in, a, in a weekly farmer markets or what's called church community agriculture when a church has also become uh, uh, aware of a local farmer needing support to make sure mm -hmm. that he can, or she, oh, in this case has been he, my experience. So she's, of course, oh, yes. uh, yeah. To, to connecting with a community of consumers, well, a church adopts a farmer, um, he or she, and uh, provides space in the congregation for the farmer to bring the products. Mm -hmm. So, so um, have you seen that? Yes, there was in our experience. Um, we there was one church in Chicago uh, that uh, that did that, and I want to say maybe it was in Evanston or just north side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Around the time when we were about to move to the farm, that that was that happened before, or it was right there at the beginning. So yes, so I did see uh, an example of that in in Chicago, uh, mm. in the early nineties, late. Mm. No, no, the late nineties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, uh, other examples of how a church can help people connect these issues. Um, well, for sure, ordaining ministers for this type of ministry. And that's right. something that I did struggle with at the beginning when I left seminary. My presbytery was not, did not consider my work at the farm as an ordainable ministry. I struggled with that a lot because I really felt called to do that. Right. Um, so I had to kind of function within the structure of the denomination, at least in that, in that area. And um, well, was later able to uh, work for a Latino ministry it was also very meaningful because then uh, 
I don't deny that as a blessing as well, but I know that it was a, a big struggle because I felt called to the land to, to help the learning center as part of my ministry, but my, my denomination at the time was not ready to ordain me. So that's why I, I always mention it, that make sure the church mm-hmm. understands this, uh, this as a ministry right. and, and, and supports the people who feel called, right? So that's, that's one, one way. And of course, the other would be making sure that community, that the churches use their gardens to, to grow food and that their food pantries are uh, offering what's grown in the same church and not just brought from other places. So make sure that our food pantries also grow out of what we grow. <laughs> not just peanut butter and cheese whiz? I know, already processed foods and dry processed foods food. and nothing. Yeah. No, it's painful. Yeah. yeah, so yes, exactly. Not just that. Which is delicious too, but <laughs> so you you um, you did get ordained in Wisconsin. I did get ordained. Uh, yeah, so four was years. It, or, was uh, so right? four years. Four years in my time at the farm, um, a, a church in Beloit, Wisconsin, called me mm-hmm. as their pastor. Uh, I was a pastor then for a Latino immigrant community for fourteen years, and this was a. Mm. Uh, ecumenical ministry was uh, supported by the, the PCUSA and the, the ELCA, the Lutheran Church. Uh, so that, that, was, that was great. And most of the members were Mexicans and most mm-hmm. of them came from rural areas. So in that sense, it was perfect to have the relationship oh, with the farm because the farm became our place to worship during the summer. We usually did our worship services at the farm, outdoors. Uh, and we used the farm as an opportunity to, to, again, justice again here, giving people the right to love the land and learn how to take care of it, regardless of their legal status. Like, so did people, did people enjoy worshiping outdoors? Yes, yes, it was a, it was a joy. It was a joy and... Um, uh, and I'm happy to say that I'm not longer at the farm now, but I know that the people are still connected to the farm and those are very precious memories that, that we mm. have. And it was a great place for me to talk about environmental stewardship and creation mm. care. Oh, and, uh, and for the, this farm, this uh, immigrants to show their children how they used to live back in Mexico, you know, how they used to grow the animals, how they used to, what they used to plant. And, mm. and they helped me see things that we consider weeds here as things that they eat over there. And then they were just so happy that things were just weeds and you pick them up and take them home because it's something they love to eat uh, mm. and grows wildly in Mexico too. Mm. Uh, and then we, we, um, uh, we asked the farm and gel Organics if we could glean. Um, and so, so we brought our church different times to glean after harvest time glean. Okay. and enjoy that as well because the land mm. just keeps for more, for more than we can really consume or at least mm. the members of the farm. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so that was beautiful. I, I, I'm thankful that I was able to integrate both ministries, right? Continue mm. connected yeah. to the farm, stay connected mm-hmm. and at the same time being a pastor of this congregation. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been able to carry over any of that, any of those um, ministries to your community in Florida where you're, where you're living now? Yeah, well, very, very good question. Uh, so, yes, now we live in Tampa. My husband, who was executive director of the Learning Center for 20 years, uh, retired from that work. Now he's as busy as always, of course. And as we speak, he's outside uh, here speaking with the uh, coordinator of uh, food and community gardens here for the county, getting to know more about the work that's happening here in Tampa. Uh, well, as, as, as quickly as we moved 
uh, here two years ago, we immediately started connecting with local farmers. We mm. wanted to eat local. We wanted to know who was growing vegetables, who had eggs, who, who had uh, meat, uh, um, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. and it was a blessing because then the pandemic came, but we knew mm-hmm. where our food was coming from. And we started growing our own food here in our garden. We have a nice garden that we have now, papayas, mangoes, mm-hmm. uh, guay- guayabas, uh, uh, mm. star fruit. Uh, mm-hmm. Malojillo, we have spinach, we, we have a bunch of things growing now in our own yard. And I yeah. Know. So, in those relationships with local farmers, which are yeah. precious to us. So. Well, you mentioned the pandemic. Uh, and so I want to ask you, um, how, how do you think the pandemic has opened our eyes, mm-hmm. the injustices in our food system? Yeah. How yeah. is this an opportunity? Yeah. How is this crisis that we are in? Yes, yes, yes. You, you, to change. Yeah, you are right. And I guess that's the other uh, ingredient of hope in this. In the midst of the crisis, it has been beautiful to see and to hear so many people say, I needed to go out into the garden. I started growing my own food, even mm-hmm. on a pot for those that live in the city or don't have a, a little plot of land to grow food. Uh, the farm, the Angelic Organics farm, who had been struggling uh, with uh, sharing, uh, selling all their shares for the last 10 years, every year is in less and less and less, because mm. the supermarket does provide organic food now, uh, but it doesn't, it's, it's not local. It's, it tells right. you that it's local, maybe 5% of what they sell in the supermarket is local, but everything else comes from very far away, and people think it's all about just eating organic food. No, it's not just about eating organic food. It's about supporting your farmers and your local farmers and knowing where your food crumbs comes from, right? All the things we're talking about. So what has happened is that in the pandemic, as soon as the pandemic started, the Angelica Organics started selling the shares to the point that it sold out. It sold out all the shares. We're back to, I don't know, 2,500 shares. Angelica wow. Yes, and so and more. So there's people in wait list now, and so it, it's in that sense it's been beautiful because it has really, um, it has really brought more the attention for the need to make sure that that you that your food is near you because a pandemic can make it possible. It can cause that you will not get food for a certain amount of days until the food arrives, right? Until we reorganize our system and like it is now, right? There's food available now, but it wasn't. At the beginning, and so, so I think this is an opportunity to continue teaching people about the importance of why it's important to to eat local, to support local farmers, not just for safety. So in the future, on another pandemic, I know where my food will come from, but but, but it will create a, a security, a safety net for 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 all of us and for our environment and and our farmers, etc. So it's a good time for this for this type of conversation. Very mm-hmm. good, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. at least for those it is a good time to, to raise awareness and to right. have a conversation Sarah and Rodney can you tell me what it was like on the farm when the pandemic was happening and what, what were you seeing change about food systems from the farm here from our point of view you know I have three sisters and as my sisters and I were talking my sister Nancy said I need to grow a garden Mm-hmm. you know, where am I going to get my food from? Mm-hmm. Am I going to have to order it from Amazon and wait a week, 10 days? Mm-hmm. Uh, or do I grow a garden, which is what we used to have when we were kids? Uh, and so 
we did that. We did a garden here and said, we can share with you, mm -hmm. uh, with family and close friends. And we had neighbors that couldn't find eggs mm -hmm. as easily, mm -hmm. you know, just basic staples like that. And so we really kind of um, scaled up mm -hmm. our egg production. We got more laying hens and we've had friends come out, neighbors come out every Saturday to get eggs. Mm -hmm. Now and that started in the spring because of, because the, pandemic. of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, not to mention what it, early stages of the pandemic did to the, the food, the supply chain. It right. disrupted the supply chain. People couldn't get bleach. You couldn't get cleaning supplies. You couldn't get toilet paper. Right. And I think we started baking bread mm -hmm. more than we were, ever had, really. <laughs> and like, like you said, egg, our egg sales went up. People couldn't find eggs, so we sold more eggs. Uh -huh. um, you know, people just had to scramble and to try to find local uh, farmers or people that grew things locally so they can get some of the food they needed. Mm -hmm. And it became kind of a an opportunity for people to get to know a particular farm and for Absolutely. us to get to know other people. Yeah, um, yeah. And we've been very lucky in that. Yeah. It's that. interesting. There's been an element that where some people have kind of looked at it as a survivalist mode mm -hmm. of, oh, well, you know what? Now we know that our food system was broken and, we, and the grocery stores really only have two or three days worth of supplies. Right. So we need to grow our own mm -hmm. so that we can survive. Yep. And I guess that's one way to look at it. Yeah. But another way to look at it is, yeah, it is broken. And yeah, there is another way. And I, I mean, in our own experience, we have kind of seen it as more of a, not a survivalist mode, but as an invitation mm -hmm. to live into a more beautiful way mm -hmm. of relationships, like you're saying. Community, um, community. Um, yeah. And so I guess, I mean, I guess you can go either way. Yeah, and the pandemic's so hard in so many ways, right? Has really impacted so many people negatively. And in this little instance, we've been able to build a different and better world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. we're going to come out of this different than the mm -hmm. way we entered it. Yep. I mean, we will. I mean, we're doing things differently. And some things don't. we don't need to return to mm -hmm. because they weren't working. And now we see that. Mm -hmm. And we know. And so I'm, I'm hopeful. I really am that, um, that this has been an opportunity to open our eyes mm -hmm. and to... Um, to see this as an invitation to live into, you know, uh, some aspect of beloved community. Well, one last question um, as we dream together a little bit um, and recognizing that the church perhaps is uniquely positioned because every church is local. If we're, if we're wanting to encourage people to get in touch with their food but their local food shed, yeah. just knowing where your food is coming from miles and miles away. But where is your food? How can you? How can we encourage local food sheds as uh, as a component of our Christian discipleship? What might that look like if the church prioritized an integration of faith, food, and farming? What would that smell like? What would it taste like? What would it look like? 
All right. Well, so I, I would see it uh, as a church that has uh, chickens roaming around. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. In the yards. Um, I, there was a church, by the way, in, in Madison, Wisconsin, who the pastor decided when the city passed a resolution that you could have chick, uh, chickens in the city. He, he, they created a chicken coop in the backyard, and he said that was the best outreach ever, ever. <laughs> so many people stopping to ask about the chickens first and then ask about the church. He felt he, uh, his congregation grew out of the with the chicken support. It was amazing. So it was beautiful. Right, right to see. Yeah. yeah. So I would, I would dream with that. The churches that have chickens walking around the yards. I would, yeah. um, um, like I mentioned, uh, I would, uh, churches, uh, you know, uh, filling their food pantries with, with food grown in their own mm -hmm. yards as well. Um, farmer market markets every weekend at the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. parking lot mm -hmm. um the organic bread for communion baked mm -hmm. by by someone in the congregation um yeah that would be that would tell me that people are thinking about this the larger connection about where our food comes from and in our actions we are healing our, our farmers, our, our land, our own backyards, and, mm. uh, and our relationships with, with each other. Mm. Um, really healing our community. So that would be, I think with that, that would give for a lot of thought and conversations that will bring justice to our region, yes. Very good. Mm. Well, let's keep dreaming. Uh, yes. Yes. And rolling up our sleeves and not just giving thanks, but doing the, the good holy work towards yeah. justice that, uh, that you have felt called towards for some time. Amen. Amen. We're grateful <laughs> to you. Eddie, thank you so much for your time. Yes, my pleasure. We appreciate it. Blessings on, uh, on you and your continued work. Amen.